The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. It's an incredible honor to be here. It's also torturous to have a team win a championship and then make you come the next morning to do a press conference this early. Here we go. You guys go ahead. How long did it take you to really... Uh, take ownership of this team, and, and how did you see the effect of that during this championship season? Super Cup is the offensive player of the year and Super Bowl MVP. How much has he inspired you as a coach and a person? So how would you describe this team with all the, the ups and downs that you guys have faced? It seems like a team of destiny and faith. Is that an accurate description? Wondering if you could uh, tell us what you know about Odell Beckham's knee injury. So how does this feel finally getting to the mountaintop? If you or your defensive coordinator uh, tell you anything to your front seven in the halftime. How does that feel to you now when it becoming a, a champion and then having teams model their game and their success after what you've done? All right, three questions, my ass. That was great. That was awesome. I wondered where we were going with that. I was very intrigued. And I was I was wishing I could read the mind of Sean Payton. Sean Payton. Sean McVay. They know who we mean. They, they know who we mean. Sean McVay during some of the questioning there at the post-Super Bowl press conference. I will say this. For a guy who likely didn't sleep at all before showing up for that on Monday morning, he, he looked pretty fresh. He... He looked like he was ready to go another four quarters, Shireen. I think he looks more fresh than you do, Mike, and I know you're tired. Thanks. Thanks. I am tired. It has been a weird couple of days. I know when I got back to my hotel room on Sunday night, Monday morning, whatever it was, I guess it was Sunday night Pacific, Monday morning East Coast, I just like my eyes were red and I was just like, what in the hell is wrong with me? And then traveling yesterday and I've taken two naps today of 90 minutes each. I don't think I've ever done that since I was a baby. (laughs) So I am just doing my best to recover from what was a long week. But Sean McVay, maybe just still on raw adrenaline after winning a Super Bowl championship. He looked ready to go. He looked ready to get to work on number two assuming he stays for the pursuit of number two. (laughs) Well, and that's what we'll find out, Mike. Is he going to stay around for 2022 to try to do it again? He's got his one. Is that enough for Sean McVay? He uttered the magic words, we'll see. Look, if there's nothing to this chatter that has emanated in recent Mm -hmm. days, you say, what are you talking about? Of course, it's back to work. Hashtag no days off. Let's go have the parade, and then we get back to work, and we try to get to number two. We're trying to build something here like what the New England Patriots built. And we've seen in the past few years how intensely difficult it is to get to the Super Bowl, to win the Super Bowl. What the Patriots did, winning six in 20 years, is beyond remarkable. But if this wasn't an issue... You don't say, we'll see. You say, are you nuts? Of course. I'm a football coach. I coach football. I'm only 36. I'm going to do this for 36 more years. Let's go. Let's keep swinging the axe. Let's keep going. 
we'll see means maybe we won't be back. And look, Shireen, I don't want to be overly cynical, but this is a big business that keeps getting larger and larger. And he works for the richest owner in the sport. And it's time for Sean McVay to get compensated accordingly. So either Stan Kroenke, the owner of the Rams, pays Sean McVay what he now is worth. And as I've said all year long, $33.5 million. Jared Goff or Bill Belichick, take your pick. I'm taking Bill Belichick for $33.5 million. And Belichick's around $25 million, which makes him a huge bargain in comparison to a guy like Jared Goff. It's either going to be that or I think the message is clear. If there's a network out there that wants him, put your offer together, put it on the table, and you know what? Yeah, there's a chance he's going to shop it back to his owner. How can you blame him? What, what do you expect Stan Kroenke to do, ESPN or Amazon or whoever? Do you expect Sean McVay to say, you make me a big offer, and I'm just automatically taking it without seeing whether or not my current employer is going to be moved by that. How, so sometimes, sometimes, if you want to shoot your shot, you got to be willing to be in a spot where the guy who's currently asleep at the wheel in, in Stan Kroenke wakes up when Sean McVay gets offered 15 to $20 million a year to go call games and work a hell of a lot less than he currently is. Will Stan Kroenke say, all right, I'll give you $25 million a year? Or will Stan Kroenke say, all right, fine, I'll just... I'll just elevate Raheem Morris. I mean, you can't expect Sean McVay to not see if that offer changes Stan Kroenke's mind. But I think that's exactly what needs to happen, Shereen. If a network wants him, put your offer on the table, and then uh, Sean McVay will most likely point it out to Stan Kroenke and see what he does. And there's nothing wrong with that. And you know what changed everything, Mike, is these college football salaries that we just saw go through the roof. And a lot of these public universities have to tell you what they pay their football coach uh, because of state laws, obviously. So we know what a lot of these college coaches are making. And I will guarantee you there are a lot of NFL coaches who are not making as much as some of these college coaches. And we're going to see the salaries of, of NFL coaches rise because of this. There's no question about that. I guess my question about Sean McVay is, is it a money issue or is it a burned out issue? And I don't know that we're ever going to see another Tom Landry, Don Shula, Bill Belichick. Belichick's probably the last of these guys. Maybe Tomlin stays around. But the pressure and the, and the pressure that goes along with that money, Mike, just burns these guys out. And it's become a 24-7, 365-day-a-year job. And it wasn't always like that. And you think back to the Landry days and the Shula days. Those players didn't work out in the offseason. They had second jobs. They had to go teach school or, or do whatever they did, sell insurance in the offseason. So there wasn't the constant grind of 365 days for those coaches like there is now. There wasn't the social media. There wasn't the media attention, just everything that goes with it. So I guess that's the question that Sean McVay has to answer at 36 years years old is it a money issue do I just want more money to to make this worth my while or am I burned out do I want to go do tv and make a heck of a lot of money maybe more money even than I would in coaching and not have to put in those full hours every single day every single day of the year and that's what he has to ask himself I guess at this point and I guess the other question Mike is do the Rams have a chance to do this long term with their cap problems with not having first round picks or is this one and done for this team? The Patriots showed they're the last team to do it in 20 years ago to win back-to-back Super Bowls. 
But it's hard to win one. It's harder to win back-to-back Super Bowls. Well, Sean McVay spoke last week about the importance of the work-family balance. He's going to be married. He wants to have kids. He's going to have a wife who has a say in whether or not he continues to work the way that he has. Gone before the crack of dawn, home late at night, consumed by what he's doing, and necessarily irritated by all the things that fall out of his control. I think great head coaches put everything they have into it, work and work and work, look for details, look for any edge, look for anything, any strategy, any play, any this, any that, anything that can help the team win and understand at the end of the day it comes down to how that weirdly misshapen ball bounces, how the wind blows, how an official does or doesn't do his or her job properly. All sorts of things beyond the effort put in by the coach. The effort put in by the coach is the minimum just to get you at the table, to put you in a position to potentially be successful, to get to the top. You need a lot of things to go your way that you have no control over. And it could be that he realizes, I've climbed the mountain. I've spent my years as a coach. I've won my Super Bowl. And now I move on. And whether it's 10 years, 15 years, I mean, hell, he could go have a couple of kids, wait for them to get out of high school, and then come back and coach and be – Younger than me, which is extremely depressing. (laughs) But he could do all that and make a hell of a lot of money along the way and come back and coach and and call a shot like John Gruden did. Now, I don't know how long you're out of it before you're out of it. But one of the arguments Gruden made when he returned to the Raiders after the 2017 season was I've been in all the facilities. I talked to all the people. I mean, that's the thing. If you're actively still in the game, you know what's going on. You know what the trends are. You're ready to jump back in. And the question becomes, when does that fire draw him back in to the flame? And he could stay out between 10 and 20 years and still constantly be mentioned. You know, if he doesn't close the door on the way out, he would constantly be a guy that we look at or just say we know it's going to be 10 or 15 years from now. And then unlike a Bill Cower who was on the A-list and then just kind of gradually slid away from it when it was clear he wasn't come back, and he, even Gruden did that too before Mark Davis decided he yeah. had to have him, McVeigh could be a guy that we just accept is going to do this for a generation or thereabouts, and then come back. And if we know that going in, we know when he starts to creep back up into the conversation as the kids get older, as he gets older, as he crosses the the 50 frontier, then maybe that's when he starts thinking about coming back. There's nothing wrong with that. Ultimately, he's got to do what he wants to do. And if it were me, and this isn't a, a lazy thing, if I can get as much money and still be relevant and significant in my industry and work a hell of a lot less, I'm at least going to consider it, Shereen. Oh, you have to, Mike, especially if, like him, you want to have a family and you've talked about that and you want to have time with your kids and see them grow up and all those things. I mean, it's hard to do that as a coach. There's certain coaches who have succeeded doing that. I'll never forget Tony Dungy telling him some of his staff to, to go home. I know Bruce Arians does it. Go home. Go see your kid play. Sean 
Peyton took private planes back to DFW to see his son play on Friday nights, but it's an awful hard thing to do when you're in this business, the grind of it. And we know coaches sleep at the facility some and, and all the thing, all the time they put into it is time away from your family. And that's just really, really hard. So maybe he just sees a break. And like you said, he go, goes and does TV and maybe he gets the itch again five years from now, 10 years from now, whatever it is. If he's staying in the booth and being in these team facilities and talking to players and knows the game, the game's not going to pass him by. He's only 36 now, so he has a chance to go do something else and still come back if that's what he decides he wants to do into the future. You know, we didn't see much of him. We didn't hear much from him in that press conference on Monday. But he did seem like a guy who has had the weight lifted off of his shoulders, who has dialed back that kind of frenetic, and I've kind of joked about this in the past, but it's also kind of serious, that very high-level monotone that, that you know, he's always on. There's no up or down, and it's always on extra yeah. high intensity the way that he speaks. I feel like that edge is off a little bit now that he's won his Super Bowl, and, and maybe he can make some – some important decisions. He'll still do extremely well financially. He'll be able to enjoy his family. He can find a sweet spot where, and if he's good, we assume he's going to be good. That's the thing. You know, eventually there's yeah. going to be a, a, a Bill Walsh or a Joe Montana that goes to TV and we're like, oh my God, they suck, right? It's possible that's going to happen. Yeah. We don't think it'll be Sean McVay. But one of these guys is going to be as bad as Walsh and Montana were. And I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I don't know if people were like, oh, how dare you? They were both horrible in TV. Horrible. Yeah. Right. Right. Now, Emmett, Emmett, Emmett I think Emmett could have been Emmett could have been good if they would have worked with him to better, better produce to yeah. his strengths. Because I love talking to Emmett Smith. I just don't think yeah. you can throw Emmett Smith into the deep end of the pool and say swim. I think you need to work with Emmett. You need to use him for specific things because he can be very good if you produce him properly. If he was produced properly, he would have been really good. But I'm talking about game analyst in the booth. Walsh and Montana were horrible. And, and I mean, who yeah, knows? Maybe were. Sean McVay will be, will be bad too. But, uh, hey, he can always come back to, to coaching if it turns out that, that uh, people <laughs> aren't happy with what he's getting for his 15 to $20 million per year. So, so, as of right now, as of right now, is Sean Payton standing on the sideline week one, or is he jacket and tie in a booth calling a game week one? Okay, wait, you said Sean Payton. I think you mean Sean McVay. Sean McVay. Again, right? Sean McVay. I'm getting my Sean's mixed up. Hey, well, why don't you go by your middle name, please, so I will have an easier time? Uh, Sean McVay. <laughs> Sean. Sorry, that's the second time I did it today. One of the Sean's, the little Sean. Well, little Sean, Sean, not big Sean. Will little Sean be coaching think, her in the booth? I think we're going to see Sean Payton in, in a, a studio booth. I don't think we're going to see him as an analyst. I think we see Sean Payton there. But Sean McVay, I think he comes back for another season, Mike. He knows how special a team can be that wins back-to-back -back titles and then maybe walks away after next season. He does have two years left in that deal. And if I'm staying cronky, I go to him and I say, hey, let's – if you don't want to extend your deal, let me give you more money and we'll make this worth your while. But come back and, and try to get those back-to-back -back titles. And I think he does that. But, you know, you talked about the we'll see. He also said it's definitely easier to leave after a title. 
So that told me, like you said, he could have put this to bed and he didn't put it to bed. He didn't say, no, absolutely not. I'm not thinking about doing something else. I, you know, I'm, I'm going to come back and I'm going to coach and try to get the backpack. So there is some doubt there, but I'm going to go with he's going to be back for one more year to try to get the back-to-back titles. By the way, there already is both a little Sean and a big Sean in a different industry altogether. So we could go <laughs> yeah. with that. I think moving forward, I'm just going to call Sean McVay little Sean and Sean Payton big Sean so I don't, I don't ever confuse them again. So little Sean on the sidelines and maybe big Sean in the booth, although I have a feeling that big yeah. Sean's going to end up in a studio out of the gates. What do you think? Absolutely. Yeah. Agree with that. I think he ends up in, in the studio, and I think he comes back to coaching within two years. I think Sean Payton is back on the sideline in a year or two because he's going to get that itch far quicker, I think, than Sean McVay would get it if he sat out. All right, uh, Aaron Donald, similar issue with him, and that was the surprise that popped up yeah. on Sunday during the pregame show. I'd caught wind of it before we started the five-hour extravaganza yeah. that Rodney was going to say something about Aaron Donald was really going to stir things up. And Rodney said there's a strong possibility Aaron Donald retires if they win on Sunday. Spoiler alert, they did win. For any of you out there, I'm sure there's nobody out there who has, like, not watched the game yet and has resisted. Like, I I can't really carve out four hours until Tuesday night. I'm going to wall myself off from what's (laughs) happening. And if you are, you're not watching this show because, obviously, you're going to hear at some point in the course of this hour who won the Super Bowl. But they won the Super Bowl. Aaron Donald saying all the noncommittal things about the future, same as Little Sean and Aaron Donald. Uh, I, I, I don't I don't know where this goes. I don't know where this goes because he puts so much of himself into his preparations for each and every season. That may be the thing that causes him to say, you know, at age 30 and I've done everything that I wanted to do. Maybe I don't do this anymore. I would totally applaud that. I mean, we've seen a bunch of players, not a bunch, but a handful of Hall of Fame players, first ballot Hall of Fame players, walk away at a young age, and they're still able to walk and enjoy life and and do all the things with the rest of their life. And, And I would applaud that if Aaron Donald did that. And you know what, Mike? If he walked away today at age 30... I am saying he's one of the two best defensive players in NFL history. He will be in the Hall of Fame within in five years when he becomes eligible, first ballot, everything he's done. It's just been an amazing career, and to me, the Super Bowl ring capped that off. So I would applaud that if he did that. And it would be a shame because I think there's a lot more of Aaron Donald to see in this game, and he can continue to play at a high level. He was third in defensive player of the voting Uh, This year, and he should have been higher than that. He should have at least been second behind T.J. Watt. But he's still an outstanding defensive player, the best defensive player in football. No one's going to question that. Everyone would tell you that. There's no argument there. Great player, one of the greatest players in history, period, end of story. He also should have been Super Bowl 56 MVP. That is a topic that we will be discussing later in the program. And ultimately, for something like professional football or even coaching whatever or any other job that is demanding physically mentally spiritually emotionally a demanding hard job if you don't want to do it don't do it if you're done you're done and there's nothing wrong with that if Aaron Donald is done if he's put everything that he can into the sport of professional football and is ready to move on bravo 
That's your call. Fans shouldn't get mad about it. And I'm sure fans of teams like the 49ers and the Seahawks and the Cardinals and the Packers and the Buccaneers and any other contenders in the NFC probably happy about it. And the Bengals, if the Bengals get back to the Super Bowl, they don't have to worry about Aaron Donald anymore. But uh, if he wants to move on, then, then that's his call. And, you know, one thing that has been lost in all this, Sims and I talked about this earlier today. Aaron Donald is a Pittsburgh guy through and through and as i've learned very recently living 100 miles south of pittsburgh and being in los angeles for nine days it is like you got on a rocket ship and went to a different planet it really is i'm not passing judgment i'm saying it is the equivalent of going to a completely different galaxy between pittsburgh and los angeles and you're there for five months out of the year minimum That's your life. That's where you are. And that's part of the overall toll that it that it exacts upon you as a human being. There's only so much crap any of us can deal with, whether it is physical, whether it is mental, whether it is emotional and spiritual. You get to a point where you just can't do it anymore. And he's climbed the mountain. He's reached the pinnacle. He's a walk in Hall of Famer. And as Sim said Sunday night after the Super Bowl, he goes straight into that that inner room that is reserved for the the guys where we don't have to have the debate and some would say those are really the only ones who should be in the hall of fame anyway that that everything else is filler the ones who walk right in without question the brett Favre's, the peyton mannings the tom brady's the aaron donald's the lawrence taylor's maybe that's the only ones that should be in it anyway but that's where aaron donald goes know it when you see it hall of famer and if that's what he wants to do that's his prerogative and and shireen if this is also a leverage play to replace the final three years of a <laughs> yeah. contract that is due to pay out a total of $55 million. more power one. to him. It's time for Stan Kroenke, yeah. who's been ripping bills off that big-ass bankroll. You know, he's got that George Costanza wallet that he pulls out, only it's not coupons for a free Save the Tiger uh, poster from the Exxon <laughs> station in Fort Lauderdale. It's cash, baby, cold, hard cash, filling up that hamburger-sized wallet. It's time to start paying. If you're going to fork over 790 million without blinking to st louis it's time to start paying your guys who got you that trophy that you seem to be so immediately in love with and if you want to keep aaron donald you got to pay him if you want to keep sean mcveigh you got to pay him and they're in a damn thing wrong with aaron donald or sean mcveigh saying hey stan you want to keep me here time to pay me well, and Mike, you pointed out in a post, I think it was earlier today, it might have been yesterday, but he has three years remaining on his contract, and the average of those three years is $18.3 million per year. That's not enough. To me, Aaron Donald is, is in that quarterback money, right? He makes that big of a difference. There are very few of those players, especially defensively, who I would say that about. I would say that about Aaron Donald. You pay him like a quarterback because he's earned that, and he showed it again in the Super Bowl. To me, the Rams don't win that Super Bowl if they don't have Aaron Donald. Yeah, um, I, I, I agree uh, completely. And as we'll discuss, he was the, the, uh, the MVP of that game. Um, Matthew Stafford. Let's hear from him on uh, the Super Bowl win for the L.A. Rams in his first season with the team not being about him. This is a long time coming for a lot of guys. You know, this is Andrew Whitworth, Aaron Donald, Jalen Ramsey, so many great players, Robert Woods on our team, Cooper, so many guys that I could uh, that I could name that just that deserve this for the way they go to work every single day, the way they care about each other as, as teammates and people. 
Um, just so happy to get it done for those guys. Hey, the two girls on his lap, they look like identical twins. They couldn't be more different in their demeanor. I've, I've seen that a couple of times now, and it cracks me up. <laughs> uh-huh. The one is just sitting there, and the other one is all personality, and I'm going to make, I'm gonna act like I'm talking like daddy, and it just, it's just great. I, I, bet, I, I bet he doesn't need to do much cardiovascular work in the offseason. Just chasing yeah. those two around the house will keep him in shape, Shireen. Well, think about how Philip Rivers felt all those years, Mike, with his many kids. He certainly didn't get any rest. <laughs> yeah, uh, so uh, Matthew Stafford can rest easy knowing he's gotten his his Super Bowl yeah. uh, win. And there's – and I'm hesitant to even go there but because I think it's stupid to argue whether or not somebody should be in the Hall of Fame when they clearly have years left on their career. Okay, Aaron Donald n- making it – obvious he may be done he's a walk-in hall of famer Matthew Stafford is still going to keep going he's going to keep playing he's 34 and I don't know how many more years he has left we witnessed this year the kind of physical toll that he endured during his time with the Lions even if he's only got four years left he's still got four years left he can do a lot in those four years he is surprisingly higher on the all-time records list than you would think pull him up go to profootballreference.com pull up career passing yards pull up career touchdown passes attempts completions he's getting yeah he's getting higher and higher and higher on those lists and he's if he plays four more years the the point is there are chapters big chapters left in this book so let's not get indignant richard sherman or anyone else about matthew stafford not being a hall of famer he isn't dead he isn't retiring he's got more time to play football it's stupid to have this conversation now shireen well, it, it is because he does have more time, and winning a Super Bowl is significant. But you look at the quarterbacks who won a Super Bowl, the Trent Dilfers and some of those guys, and, and you don't have them as Hall of Famers. You look at what you see and determine whether that guy is a Hall of Famer. And, you know, the yards and the touchdowns aren't going to do it for Matthew Stafford. When you talk about Vinny Testaverde, as MDS pointed out, and Kerry Collins, both retired in the top 10 in passing yards, and, and we don't think of either one of them as Hall of Famers. So I'm going to need to see more from Matthew Stafford before we really get into that conversation, 12 seasons, one Pro Bowl. You know, when you get in and you talk about Hall of Famers, we don't really look at Pro Bowls anymore because there are more than 100 Pro Bowlers every single year. So guys have six, eight, ten Pro Bowls. It, you know, it's not uncommon. But when a guy has one Pro Bowl, it's pretty significant. So he's going to need to add to that. I thought he should have been a Pro Bowler this year, frankly. Um, he probably was, uh, you know, yeah, I know he had the two interceptions, but he probably was in that MVP conversation. Um, but, but he's got to have a little bit more in his career, and he's got time to do that. So he sort of started to rewrite the history away from Detroit where he had the one 5,000-yard passing season, uh, and that was his Pro Bowl season. But he has time, Mike. He has time to still do this. Another four years like he played this year, and we are talking about Matthew Stafford as a Hall of Famer. And, and frankly, there's a certain irony in this idea of applying extreme scrutiny to Matthew Stafford's Hall of Fame candidacy by Richard Sherman, because some would say if we apply intense scrutiny to what he actually has done and what his role was in the Legion of Boom defense and how that that system made him maybe better than he was, frankly, if we apply that kind of scrutiny, maybe people come to the conclusion that he's not the presumed Hall of Famer that everyone seems to think he is. 
Well, and the thing is, Mike, I always tell people like how hard it is in the Hall of Fame room. And you talked about the the no-brainer Hall of Famers. I've been in that room when the presenter, Mike Chappelle, in the, in the case of Peyton Manning, stood up and said, ladies and gentlemen, I present Peyton Manning and sat down. And that was it. There was applause. That was all. That's all that Canada needed. And when you look throughout the NFL, I mean, think about the active players right now. There are very few of those guys where somebody would stand up and say, ladies and gentlemen, I present Aaron Rodgers. Ladies and gentlemen, I present Aaron Donald. A handful of the players. Tom Brady. There's there's not many of them, though, that that's going to happen. There's going to be a discussion. Even with Ray Lewis, there was a short discussion on Ray Lewis and whether he was a Hall of Famer. So, yes, there there is discussion almost every single player. And when you look at most of the players in the NFL, there were flaws with them. There are things that you could say, I don't think they're a Hall of Famer. But with Aaron Donald, there's no question. With with other guys in this league, I do think there's a question, and, and it's going to take some looking into their careers. And, and as you said, maybe you look at the system sometimes that they play in. Yeah, I, I agree with you completely. But the bottom line is Matthew Stafford has more football left in him, and his his career uh, is not yet ripe for conversation about whether or not he will or won't get to the Hall of Fame. Something to mention very briefly, there was a report today from Shefty that Kevin O'Connell will be introduced as the new head coach of the Vikings on Thursday. Um, I, I, I was fascinated earlier today by, number one, the fact that it hasn't happened, and number two, the possibility that McVeigh leaves, and then number three, the chance that Stan Kroenke says, I want Kevin O'Connell to be the head coach, not Raheem Morris, and that could leave the Vikings holding the bag like the Colts did four years ago. It looks like that's not going to happen, but again... Until it's done, until the paperwork is signed, and I haven't seen anyone report that the paperwork is signed. Until that paperwork is signed, it's not signed. It's not done. It can be, it can be uh, undone because it's not done, Shireen. So I, I want to see the announcement from the Vikings that the new head coach is Kevin O'Connell. I want to hear the report that he has put his John Hancock at the bottom of that contract. Tell you what, if I'm the Vikings, I would have been in Los Angeles on Monday and I would have had that contract there for him to sign. If that's who I truly wanted, it sounds like that's who they wanted, but I would have gotten that thing signed uh, right away. But, you know, you go back to McVeigh, too. Maybe that's a reason he's looking to step down, too, is he keeps losing assistance. He keeps having to retrain these guys. Brandon Staley last year, now Kevin O'Connell if he leaves. So it's one after the other, and he's having to groom a new staff, new guys every single year. So that takes a toll on a coach, too, Mike. And it was three years ago, after Super Bowl 53 in Atlanta, that a certain Stephen Ross made his way to the Patriots Hotel to intercept Brian Flores and whisk him away to Miami so that he couldn't go back to New England and do to the Dolphins what Josh McDaniels had done to the Colts a year earlier. And, oh, what three years have done to that relationship when we return we'll talk about the hot water in which steven ross is now is now simmering thanks to the brian flores tanking allegations and also daniel snyder is his time as owner of the washington commanders potentially coming to a close uh, we'll discuss that on pftpm right after this daniel snyder the owner for now of the washington commanders Continuing to face congressional pressure over the investigation conducted by Beth Wilkinson, the 10-month probe that has been kept entirely secret by the league and by the team, 
It got ugly last week. It got awkward last week. The league sending a letter to Congress accusing the team of defying repeated orders to make documents available that could then be given to Congress to satisfy Congress. And yesterday was the deadline for producing the materials. And a subpoena is next. I don't get it. I don't get it. I don't understand it. And I, I, I just think that that Daniel Snyder at this point is doing everything he can to delay the inevitable. I've said all along, I think they are hiding something massive. The harder they try to keep all of this information secret, the more it has convinced me that they are keeping something under wraps that is going to be major. And I've done some reporting about the Beth Wilkinson investigation, the fact she didn't write a report. If she had written a report, it would have concluded with a recommendation that Snyder be forced to sell. There's something big that is being hidden by the owners, not to help Dan Snyder per se, but to help themselves avoid a similar jackpot in the future of their own making, potentially. But they don't want to be in a spot like this. And it's all developing a feel now, Shireen, that it's crumbling. But Dan Snyder is still doing everything he can to hold on for as long as possible. And that's what he'll do. If they come after him and they try to push him out, he will sue and he will fight and he will drag it out as long as he possibly can. He's not giving this team up voluntarily. It will be the proverbial, they'll have to pry it from his cold, dead hands to get that team out of his clutches. Or after all legal appeals have been pursued and exhausted. But he is not going to give this team up without a major fight. Yeah, and, and you think back to the Jerry Richardson case and how quickly that he, he was forced to sell, and he obviously didn't fight it. But when you look back at that, you're like, why does Daniel Snyder still own this team? And it, to me, it, it's reminiscent of the Ray Rice case in, in which the league made uh, a decision on the punishment for Ray Rice, and it obviously was premature, and it obviously was the wrong punishment. And this feels like that from the standpoint of, they delivered their punishment, and it wasn't strong enough. And I do think this is crumbling and going to continue to crumble. And I don't see how Dan Snyder, Mike, with Congress and everything else involved, I don't see how he holds on to the, this team. Is there any possible way, any outlet he has legally or elsewhere, that he can hold on to Washington if they say nope? Well, uh, you mentioned Jerry Richardson, and I think the difference uh, was significant. The moment that the problem arose for Jerry Richardson in December of 2017, he decided to hand it over. He decided that he's out. He didn't want the fight. Yeah. He didn't want the ugliness. He didn't want the vote, the, the, the legal battle, anything else. He was happy to sell and move on. I think, and we're going to talk about Stephen Ross in a, in a second, I think Ross, if he feels the walls closing in, will do the same thing. Snyder is just not giving it up. And the difference is Richardson was not going – to bequeath the team to anyone when he died so let's just go ahead and cash it out let's do it now it's either me now or my estate after i die that's going to sell this team daniel snyder is determined to give the team to his kids determined it's why he's been fighting as hard as he has it's why he bought out his three limited partners who were trying to sell their interests and couldn't find anyone to buy it because people didn't want to be business partners with Daniel Snyder. So he's going to do everything he can to hold on to this team. This is his legacy. This is the thing that he's going to hand to his kids. I, I just, it just feels like the walls really are closing in. And the key is the Tiffany Johnson allegations because she wasn't part of the initial Wilkinson investigation. Now the league is going to investigate it. 
If they get Beth Wilkinson to come back and do this supplemental investigation, I think it's over. I think it's done because she already knows who, he, who she's dealing with in Daniel Snyder, and she's going to view anything he says about Tiffany Johnson's claims the same way she, she has viewed and, and concluded and assessed his position on other claims. And I think she, she's come to the conclusion that he's not credible. That's what I believe. That, that's what I think she would have said if she was actually asked to put anything in writing. So he doesn't want her coming back. And it may not matter. They may go find somebody else, whoever they find. Once they look at it, they're going to realize, once they do their work, that uh, Tiffany Johnston, I think they'll conclude, tells a compelling, credible case uh, for, for what happened to her. And, you know, Dana Snyder huffs and puffs and blusters, potentially. And, and they decide that, that Tiffany Johnston's telling the truth. And that will be the straw, I think, that gets the owners to initiate the process of forcing him to sell. And the longer he can hold on, the more he's going to get for the team. That's the other reality. If he can drag this out two or three years, the value is going to keep going up and up. The, the worth of the team is going to keep climbing and climbing. And, and that may be another reason for him to try to fight it as long as he possibly can. And I also think he's wired to like this stuff. To, 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 you know, when, when I practiced law, there were certain lawyers who enjoyed the fight so much they never turned it off regardless of who they were dealing with their their partners in their firms uh their their colleagues their family members that that was just that that was the way they always went about life it was constant friction and turmoil fight and fight and fight and fight fight with everyone i feel like that's the way snyder is he just wants to fight with everyone that he enjoys being able to fight with anyone and everyone that happens to be in his field of vision so Mike, take me through, because you're the lawyer and you know all this stuff, the Congress subpoena. Like, what are we going to find out in, in this subpoena? Like, is this going to reveal everything, potentially? Well, what happens is we have to deal with these claims of privilege. And that's how they set up the original Beth yeah. Wilkinson investigation. It wasn't commissioned as a Deflategate-style effort to get to the truth and make the truth known publicly. It was an effort to circle the wagons and protect the company, the team, and the league against liability. So some of the communications between Beth Wilkinson and Daniel Snyder, and then communications between Snyder and maybe the commissioner, and that was the subject of the common interest agreement we learned about 11 days ago, uh, it, it complicates things, and it allows the team and the league to claim that certain materials are privileged. Now, in a normal court setting if one side says we have materials we're not going to turn over because they're subject to the attorney client privilege if the other side says we don't think they are at some point the judge looks at the materials and decides yes or no up or down these are protected or they're not protected i don't know enough about the congressional process to know who would yeah. be the equivalent of the judge to decide what is or what isn't privileged but it, it, I don't think you can just slam the door. It, eventually, it would go to court. Eventually, yeah. there will be a judge. You're issued a subpoena. You produce documents that you claim aren't privileged, and you're withholding others. If that's not good enough for Congress, there has to be some mechanism that would be initiated to enforce the subpoena. You're in violation of the congressional subpoena. We're going to go to court. And the question becomes, how far does Congress want to push this? Because from Congress's perspective, their attitude is, we shouldn't have to do this. We've got the ultimate power to get what we yeah. want. Why are you making us use it? And making them use it only pisses them off more. That's what Daniel Snyder doesn't realize. <laughs> 
Well, and Mike, how messy is this for the NFL? Between this and the Brian Flores lawsuit, I don't know if the NFL has ever faced anything like this, uh, two things all at once that just make them look terrible, just absolutely terrible. This is a complete mess. I was at the, the, the commissioner's press conference last week, and it was awful. I mean, that's all the questions were about, and, and rightfully so. Those should have Not been one. the questions. There, but was, there, there was one There was, no. there was one that well, wasn't about those. <laughs> no. Well, no, there's there one that I'm few. thinking of particularly. This, there, there was one which where one? my name was mentioned, which, which left oh, my, yeah, my wife horrified. Well, yeah. yeah. <laughs> there yeah. was that. Yeah. But, but you're right. You're right, Shereen. You've got controversies involving two teams that could force yeah. sales of two teams. Two of 32 franchises could change hands because of these controversies. That's unprecedented. To have two of these pots boiling over yeah. at the same time, it's unbelievable. And it's something that we're going to continue to follow. And I know people have been very interested in the Washington case for months. And they'll ask me, why aren't you saying more about this? Why aren't you saying more about this? It's driven by developments. We just can't stand here every show or sit, as the case may be, and say, release the documents. Having some tangible development gives us the opportunity to cover it and then conclude by saying, please, we said please, release the documents. Let's take a break. How about some MVP voting reform, Super Bowl style? We'll discuss our latest crusade to change the way NFL does business. Good luck with that when PFTPM continues right after this. For 25 years, nothing has tasted better after a hard day's work than a Mike's Hard Lemonade. It's because since day one, Mike's has been making lemonade the hard way. We use three kinds of lemons, all handpicked from family farms then blended to perfection in cold press to create the epic hard lemonade you know and love. Mike's Hard Lemonade. Hard days deserve a hard lemonade. Mike's is hard. So is prison. Don't drive drunk. Premium all beverage with flavors. All registered trademarks used under license by Mike's Hard Lemonade Company, Chicago, Illinois. Second and goal. Pass. Cop! Got it! Touchdown! In a pressure situation, I don't know if I have ever seen anybody be better than Matthew Stafford and Cooper Cup. Cooper Cup running the fade. Eli Apple clearly expecting Cooper Cup to cut to the inside. Cup makes the catch, second touchdown of the game, becomes the MVP of Super Bowl 56. Now, this has been a hot topic in PFT land for the last day or so. I don't think the NFL appreciates that we are, we are agitating in this specific area, and uh, I don't really care. But, but you know, there are, there are two ways for me to get myself into trouble. One is accidentally, which happens all the time, and I don't really get to enjoy it because I didn't realize that what I was saying was going to get me in trouble. The other way is when I know damn well that anything I say can and will be used against me. This is one of those times because I know they're not happy that we're raising these questions. But, Shireen, the Super Bowl MVP voting process is flawed. It's flawed. 16 voters. Yeah. That's not nearly enough, first of all. And there's a, another four-vote chunk that comes from fan voting that begins well in advance of the end of the game. But, you know, apart from the size of the voting block, the idea that, that they want the votes before the two-minute warning. And, I know, and the league told me, well, we, we, we confirm them after the game. And, we, you know, it's, it's loose. And, it's, you know, we want their idea. And then we'll go back to them. Why not just say no votes until the clock strikes zero? 
what's so hard about that, especially with only 16 people? Why do we have to know who the MVP is if the confetti is still in the air? Well, and that's the thing, Mike, because I have done this for several years because the Pro Football Writers of America president does it in the pool reporter, which I've done a few times, has a vote. So I've done this several times. And you talk about being a controversy over the last few days. I did a, a search in our system. MDS wrote the same exact story in 2019 about the process and how it was flawed and how Gilmore or Hightower should have been the MVP. And I did vote that year, and I voted, I think it was for Julian Edelman, because there was obviously the defense had played great, but there wasn't truly that one standout. And what happens is they start asking for your vote about the five-minute mark. Hey, do you know who you're going to vote for? The only year that I've done it, that it was cut and dried, was the year that Von Miller done it, won it, 2015 season, uh, when he just killed, obviously, Cam Newton and the Panthers. And the game was a blowout, and it was obvious Von Miller was the MVP. Otherwise, it is a question up until the end of the game, or has been a question up until. So five-minute mark, they start asking, and then they start asking again, when, you know, do you have your, your decision? So finally you say, okay, if the Rams win, it's going to be Matthew Stafford. If the Bengals win, it's going to be Joe Burrow. And that's usually the way it goes, and it's usually the quarterback because if one of those guys wins it on a comeback, then usually it's the quarterback who has led the comeback. So I know a voter who said that, Joe Burrow, Matthew Stafford. Cooper Cup scored the touchdown, changed the vote to Cooper Cup. End of the game, may or may not have changed it to, to Aaron Donald. But, you know, you think about, well, I've already changed it once after the two-minute warning, and sometimes you don't change it at all. Sometimes you're busy writing your game on deadline, writing the game story on deadline, especially if you're covering the, your beat reporter for the Rams or your beat reporter for the Bengals. You're busy. You may not change your vote. So that's how it came to be, and I don't really necessarily have a problem with it being Cooper Cup, but I would have voted for Aaron Donald, and I think – in retrospect, if all of those voters who voted for Cooper Cup had it to do today, I think they would vote for Aaron Donald. I remember sitting next to you during Super Bowl 53 yeah. as there was no obvious MVP. And I, I think you were you were talking to John McClain about it, who was on the other side of you, I believe, because I think yeah. you both had a vote that year. and uh, Or, yeah, or you, right. you did and he didn't, or whatever it was, you were struggling to come up with who the MVP should be. And I, I suppose it's Julian Edelman, but it, it, my argument is, is very simple. And if the NFL wants to dominate another day of the week, just announce it today. We waited yeah. five freaking weeks to find out who the regular season MVP was. We can wait 24 hours for the Super Bowl MVP. Make it, make it the, tu the Tuesday after the Super Bowl is always the day that we find out the Super Bowl MVP. Give the voters an opportunity to go back and rewatch the game in a quieter setting, to reflect on whatever notes they have, look at the stats, talk to, talk to colleagues and friends and, and see what people have written about it. Because, you know, from my perspective, like right after the game, what, one thing I remembered was, and it stood out to me, was the drive that the Bengals had after the, the interception when the ball went off of Ben Skoronik's hands and it was picked off by Chidobe Awuzie and the Bengals were up by four after the long touchdown throw from Burrow to T. Higgins when Jalen Ramsey got his face mask yanked and pulled and, and knocked to the ground, that if the Bengals score a touchdown on that drive, it's over. 
It's over. The floodgates are going to open. That was the vibe in the stadium. It's over at that point if the Bengals score a touchdown. And, and you know, we don't know what's going to happen next. But Matthew Stafford comes out and presses again, throws another pick, and the next thing you know it's an 18-point margin. But Aaron Donald on that drive had two sacks to result in a field goal. Yeah. And, and I didn't remember that he had two sacks on that drive in the moment. Like, there's a lot that you got to remember. We're human beings. And you only have 16 human beings that are the collective brain trust for this, and they're expected to make their decisions during the game. And you're going to have 20% of the total vote hinge on whatever drunk-ass yahoo decides to – and I'm sorry. I mean, I used to be the drunk-ass yahoo watching the game at home. Why do you want to give somebody who's a drunk-ass yahoo watching the game at home a voice collectively that counts for four votes on top of the 16 that come from – the list of media members that have no transparency whatsoever. Yeah. That's the other part of it that bothers me, too. Why is it all a secret? Yes. Why is it a secret? And if, and if you're not comfortable as the voter letting it be known that, number one, you're a voter, and number two, what your vote was, then let someone else do it. I mean, come on, put yourself out there. There needs to be transparency in these matters. If there isn't transparency, you know what I end up thinking? I end up thinking that the league just picks who they want the MVP to be, and there's never any way to disprove it. Well, I don't know what year, Mike, and I did tons of Google searches and I couldn't find it, but it was not so long ago that they listed the 16 members of 2001. They started letting fans in, so they listed the fans vote, and I did find that where they listed first, second, and third and how many votes each of those got. And then they listed the media members who voted that year. And then they listed the vote totals, first, second, third, however many players got votes, you saw it. And remember, we used to get all those papers at the Super Bowl. They just papers in quotes, which they don't give out anymore. And it was listed. But at some point, they quit listing the voters and they quit listing the vote totals. And I can't figure out when that happened. But I even go back to the year, I remember Marshawn Lynch and the controversy of, well, they didn't give the ball to, to Lynch because they wanted Russell Wilson to be MVP. And I laughed about it because votes were already in at that point. Russell Wilson was going to be the MVP if the Seahawks had won that Super Bowl, regardless of whether Lynch got that touchdown or not. I, I guarantee you there wouldn't have been enough votes changed uh, to change it. And as it turned out in that Super Bowl, frankly, uh, the MVP should have been Malcolm Butler, and, and I think it was Tom Brady that year, and it, and it shouldn't have been. It should have been Malcolm Butler for that final play that he made. So, yes, I, if, if I'm a voter on it again, I want my vote out there. I want to say who I voted for. I want to know that my vote really got changed at the end, and I voted for Aaron Donald if that was the case, and I changed it from Matthew to Stafford to Cooper Cup to Aaron Donald if that's the case. But you made the point of making it Tuesday – I think it'd be really cool even if they do it at that Monday MVP press conference and we don't know who the MVP is and he just shows up there and they announce it there. That would even be cooler than the way they do it now. I just would like the people who are voting to have more time to come to the right conclusion. And maybe the right conclusion was Cooper Cup, but I think it's all rushed. It's hurried. It's flawed. And hopefully the NFL is paying attention and will do something about it. Chances are. They are not. And by the way, if I recall correctly, Tom Brady gave Malcolm Butler the the Chevy that he got when he won the Super Bowl MVP in uh, the 2014 season, Super Bowl 49. Let's take a break. We're going to bust open the mailbag when this Tuesday edition of PFTPM concludes right after this. Let's get right to it. Dr. J144 has a question, and I was fascinated by this one. Would the Cardinals yeah. be a potential suitor for Deshaun 
Watson. Lovey Smith, the new coach of the Texans, says he'd like to get this Watson situation resolved ASAFP. Weird vibes with Kyler Murray and Deshaun could reunite with DeAndre Hopkins and J.J. Watt. You know, Kyler loves playing in Texas. Now, I think he'd rather play at the other NFL stadium in Texas, not NRG Stadium or Reliance Stadium. Is it NRG Stadium now? It's, it's NRG Stadium yeah, now. It's I NRG. these names. Yeah. I can't. Yeah, anyway, uh, it's kind of fascinating. I don't know if Kyler Murray wants to go play for a team that is currently among the bottom feeders in the NFL. But, hey, hey, you know, Sims made a good point today. Not that I like what Chris Mortensen had to say about Kyler Murray. I think that that anonymously – reported opinions of that magnitude, calling a guy selfish, immature, and finger-pointing, not attaching a name to it. I don't like that because it's not like there's a universal conclusion that that's how Kyler Murray is. Oh, and by the way, look at Tom Brady. Any day things aren't going his way, you see selfish, immature, and finger-pointing from him too. But if there is somebody high enough up in the organization like, I don't know, Michael Bidwell, who would articulate something like that, making Mortensen comfortable telling the world that on Super Bowl Sunday, then then maybe Bidwell would be willing to move on from Kyler Murray. I don't know. It would be a stunner if it happened, Shereen. But, you know, I, if the Cardinals are going to move on from Murray, they could do a lot worse than Deshaun Watson. Absolutely. I think Watson right now is probably a better player than, than Kyler Murray, and he would be re- reunited, obviously, with Watt if he comes back and – DeAndre Hopkins um, there in, in Arizona. So I think that would probably be a place that Deshaun Watson would approve going with his no trade clause. So I don't see the Texans agreeing to that. I think they want the draft picks. I think they think they have their quarterback or at least their bridge quarterback in Davis Mills. I think they're going to look for draft picks to build their team around Davis Mills. But if I'm the Cardinals, I certainly investigate that for sure. And if I'm Kyler Murray, I, you know, I'm, I'm not opposed to going back to Houston and seeing what I can do if they get a ton of draft picks. But I don't think they get those draft picks if they trade the guys straight up. Real quickly, John Dewey, Chica One, wants to know whether or not there's been a receiver with more contract leverage than Devontae Adams because of the pressure on the Packers to sign him in order to keep Aaron Rodgers. I, I look at it this way. Adams isn't going to matter. Rodgers is going to make his decision, and I think part yeah. of Rodgers' plan is going to be to get Adams to wherever Rodgers goes. But Rodgers is going to make his decision before they work anything out with Adams, and I think Rodgers, within the next three weeks, is going to tell the Packers to trade me, Shereen. Yeah, and they're going to franchise tag Devontae Adams, Mike, and then they'll see if they can and, trade and him if Rodgers him, goes somewhere else. Trade him, Darren. Part of the package. That's yeah. it. We're done. Thanks for joining us. See you in the morning. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil.